Today, Thursday, December 14, the leaders of 27 member countries are gathering in Brussels to meet and discuss the bloc's enlargement strategy, Ukraine, the war in the Middle East, the budget and security and defense. Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Beyond the Balian podcast. I am Evie Kiori and in this episode we explore the hot topics on the agenda of the last European Council Summit for 2023. The end-of-year discussions hold symbolic importance for both the EU and Ukraine, so what can we expect to be discussed in this EUCO on this matter? Despite the geopolitical turbulence um, in various areas um, of the world, maybe Middle, Middle East in, in specific, I think uh, Ukraine remains very high uh, on the EU's uh, agenda. Andriy Kornichuk is policy analyst at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Uh, and I think these discussions uh, at the end of the year uh, are very important symbolically for both um, parties, um, EU, its member states and, and Ukraine as well. Um, I think looking from the Ukraine's perspective, um, the developments on the battlefield, uh, the um, counteroffensive, um, the, the ambitions perhaps that were set, maybe um, uh, miscalculated at the beginning of the year, uh, were not as high as expected. At the same time, um, we also know that in terms of the EU-Ukraine relations, um, that the, the certain promises, as may, maybe like the ammunition delivery, that also did not reach that that um, uh, that, that expectation. So I think continuing with accession uh, can be still that success story. That's something very tangible for both sides, and certainly it's an existential necessity for both. Uh, because I think EU is quite um, uh, on board with the concept that Ukraine is part of the new peace and security, uh, that Ukraine is part of the new security and peace architecture. And obviously for Ukraine, uh, the accession is an existential necessity to maintain its war effort, but also think about its rebuild. Already from mid-December, meetings have taken place regarding Ukraine aid, currently blocked by Viktor Orbán's government, who mentioned while arriving at the summit that Ukraine hasn't met at least three preconditions out of seven. We set up seven preconditions, and in the evaluation of the Commission, three out of the seven is not fulfilled. So therefore, there is no reason to discuss anything, because preconditions were not met. So we have to come back later on, revert to that issue again, when it is fulfilled by the Ukrainians. Why we are here is not to make business. It's not about bargain. It's not about deal. We represent approaches and principles. So to give money to Ukraine uh, is easy to, to do because in short term, the money for Ukraine is already in the budget. So there is no any extra decision to give it in short term, in longer term long-term and the bigger sum of money, my position is that we should give it outside. But we are not under the pressure of the time because the bridging, the bridging solution is already in the budget. So is there hope for a diplomatic breakthrough despite the challenges? As we see from what uh, Charles Michel was also doing, uh, coming shorter from his China trip. So China is obviously also a, a major geopolitical actor. Sort of that step, the gesture that he came earlier to go to Viktor Orban to, to have that discussion in Ukraine points exactly to what you have mentioned. Uh, meaning that uh, there's still certain disagreements on uh, on, on how it's to proceed with, with the opening deck section talks, but also with the Ukraine facility, uh, which should um, be around 50 billion uh, euros to of Ukraine support. Um, obviously, we also know that Viktor Orban, he he sitting at this negotiation table, he has certain his national interests at stake. 
So indeed, it seems that uh, up until <clears throat> the very last hours prior to the actual meeting on, on this high level, we will be still having these dinners and these discussions, this ongoing work to have an agreement among all the, um, uh, all the member states actually to proceed to open the accession talks, to give Ukraine the, um, the, the necessary supports and needs. But unfortunately for Ukraine, this is indeed a very diplomatically heavy process, which involves a lot of bargaining uh, chips to be put on the table. And the hope is and the, that um, these talks indeed would be uh, open. But we have to see up until uh, uh, the end. Maybe we should ironically um, mention, you mentioned President Macron. I mean, he indeed will sit with Viktor Orban, but at the same time, his track record of doing these kind of uh, high-level negotiations is not too optimistic, but let's hope that he can sort of shift uh, the tide uh, of, of destiny in his favor in this case and deliver when it comes also to bringing uh, Orban on board with all the other member states and governments. The EU is intensifying its efforts to adapt and address loopholes, particularly in response to recent developments such as the situation with Ukrainian children and elections in occupied territories. The EU is also exploring the possibility of another package of sanctions against Russia. I think it's a matter of time when the next um, um, package of sanctions will be introduced. But as very often it comes uh, with the EU, it's all the devil is in the details. So it, it depends on what kind of agreements will, will be reached. Um, certainly, we see that um, um, through additional uh, packages of sanctions, the EU tries to tighten up uh, the grip on Russia. Uh, so far, overall, the sanctions have brought certain uh, leverage into leveraging sort of ge geopolitically, economically uh, restraining Russia, but certainly it didn't block the result that one everyone expected at the very beginning of the full-scale invasion. So indeed, the EU looks all the time at the loopholes and tries to address them. It certainly in this new package it would like to address, so adapt and be flexible enough address the recent developments. Um, for instance, it wants to target individuals who um, are responsible. Um, um, for, for handling the situation with the Ukrainian children uh, that are basically being kidnapped and then end up in Russia. They want to target individuals uh, who are uh, involved actually in um, the so-called elections uh, in the occupied territories. So it, indeed, um, the EU tries um, uh, to, to find ways uh, to adapt. So I think in, um, it's a matter of time when we arrive, actually, the, the new package is already proposed. So it's a matter of time when the agreement is reached. Uh, the difficulty, as we see now, also within these discussions, is again on, on the very essence of these sanctions and sort of different details, which for different member states, the different angles, different national interests, different perspectives, so let's see how it goes. But I would expect that we see soon uh, the 12th package of EU sanctions. The ongoing discussions on enlargement highlight a growing consensus on the need for a balanced approach between the South and East. The EU emphasizes that the accession process is a merit-based and cooperative one with no country eligible for shortcuts. I think the, the accession uh, talks is, is a substantial part of, um, of the current uh, support um, and sort of the, the, the nature, the essence of the relations between the EU uh, and Ukraine. Um, so in, in, in this sense, um, as mentioned at the very beginning of, of our discussion today, I, I think that the, the most important decision that everyone awaits is the uh, 
the symbolic but also very practical step of opening the, the accession talks with, with Ukraine. Because certainly for Ukraine, that will be the fulfillment of the work it has done and one of the clear goals, aims of its current defense war against Russia, sort of to continue um, on its path of European aspiration. Um, and we see that actually since the beginning of the full-scale invasion, indeed, some, the, the progress um, can be measured, can be sort of, it's very tangible uh, from the perspective both of the uh, European institutions, member states, EU as a whole, but also Ukraine. Um, the proposed enlargement package um, is certainly very ambitious um, um, by the Commission, in which the Commission obviously also recommends opening the accession talks with Ukraine, is a very ambitious geopolitical gesture, one would, uh, can also say. So in that sense, um, I think we indeed should, should, should expect that progress and in the interest of Ukraine is to open uh, them as uh, soon as possible. Ukraine needs the European technocratic machine working in its favor. So as, uh, as the sooner it gets its foot into the door uh, and gets the, the, the bureaucracy working, the better for Ukraine. So I'm, I'm quite sure that, again, um, we should, we should expect uh, progress on actually opening the accession talks. But I think then we move into the nitty gritty process of, of, of actual uh, reform, uh, which can take obviously years. Uh, and I think all the, including Viktor Orban, very much understands uh, these processes. Uh, so the, 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 the sheer fact of opening uh, the accession talks doesn't mean that they will end in five years. Uh, so, so I think from a symbolic point of view, to sum up, uh, we should expect um, um, the gesture of opening the accession talks very uh, relatively soon. And then uh, the real work um, um, would, would start and where Ukraine also needs to show a lot of progress in terms of reform, a merit-based approach. And what can the other candidate countries expect from these talks? There is increasing understanding that uh, there needs to be a, very, a balanced approach, a balanced approach in terms of eastern and the southern uh, enlargement, although you can also read from certain experts that maybe even with the enlargement package, there's a certain refocus towards the east of the EU. Maybe I wouldn't go as far as, um, as that, but uh, because I think um, um, from the, 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 the real work that is ongoing into molding and framing how the, the reform of, of the EU should be undergoing, including its enlargement policy, how it should aid its, its peace and security architecture, there is an understanding that it needs more balance between the south and east uh, of its um, borders. Um, so in that sense, um, I also um, think that from the Ukraine side, including its civil society, the very clear message that we do not expect any preferential treatment. We do not expect any fast-track solutions that will bypass this merit-based approach. We are ready to deliver on actual reforms and then please assess us. But I think that what we learned from last decades um, all of the sides, uh, all the potential candidates, whether it's in the Western Balkans or um, Ukraine or now Moldova, potentially maybe Georgia, they would certainly um, be looking into the political decision. Yeah, because ultimately, uh, even if all the member or potential candidates deliver on the reforms, it all ends up as a political decision of the member states. So I think in this case, um, EU has some homework to do as well. But coming back and summing up your question, I think. Um, um, the understanding is very clear that if EU is to succeed with its enlargement policy, uh, if it's to build a more credible, partner-driven, equal relations with, with its potential candidates and partners, it needs a balanced approach which does not drive 
geopolitical rivalry, but rather drives cooperation and understanding that we are in this whole process together. But expecting quick progress from Ukraine wouldn't be reasonable, according to Andrei. What we should um, remember when we look at the current developments on the battlefield of Ukraine is that um, um, we should not simply maybe um, expect um, quick um, and rapid um, developments from, from day to day. Uh, unfortunately, for all the uh, parties involved in supporting of Ukraine, we are currently in the world of attrition. And with the world of, uh, war of attrition, um, there needs to be resilience, understanding that it can go on for many more um, months. I think that understanding is, is growing. Certainly, the, the resilience of Ukraine uh, is being praised, but we have to remember also that this resilience of Ukraine, it does not come out of nothing. And for this resilience to keep going, uh, Ukraine needs support. And that support is both economic, humanitarian, military, but also moral and symbolic. So, so I think with how EU and its member states approach different steps, even if it's like symbolic decisions of granting certain opening accession talks, etc., the value um, and contribution for the battlefield uh, sort of dynamics is also uh, very high. So it's a very complex picture, but we, I think, should realize that even smaller symbolic steps also have a very important contribution to Ukraine's uh, victory on the battlefield. The budget is one of the hot topics on the agenda as well, but what can EU leaders focus on? There are two sets of expectations, in a, in a sense. Uh, from one side, we have the expectation of uh, what will really be on the table. That is uh, a package deal on the budget that has two main components. One is the uh, Ukraine facility and the other one is the uh, package deal for the strategic technology for Europe platform, the so-called STEP. Uh, so that we'll be discussing these two items uh, that will be um, somehow tough, but uh, I'm quite confident they will arrive uh, to to an agreement. David Rinaldi is but director of side, studies and policy at the Foundation for European Progressive what they Studies. Should be discussing what uh, you know what are the the expectations the Europeans should have on our leaders. Uh, because the discussion on the economic uh, part, particularly in a moment in which the ECFIN uh, is also struggling to find an, ag an agreement on the fiscal rules, should probably point in the direction of expanding uh, somehow the leaders' interest into uh, spending for competitiveness and for the EU Green Deal, rather than finding a very narrow agreement on little new money for strategic technologies. The latest EU budget negotiation box drafted by the Spanish EU Council Presidency, shared with EU ambassadors on December 6th, shows commitment from member states to limit the EU's budget increase to a minimum while safeguarding financial aid to Ukraine. What is the latest compromise proposal on the EU seven-year budget review and why has it faced resistance from member states? Can we expect a common stance on this after the Council? Unfortunately, the common stance uh, from the side of, uh, of member states uh, from almost everywhere in Europe is uh, that nobody has the appetite to put more money in the basket of, uh, of uh, EU uh, budget and, and money. And I think it plays an important role also the, the, the ruling of the German uh, 
constitutional court that was used immediately from the Minister of Finance to say, hey, you see, we have no more money to, you know, to put into the European European budget, uh, plus you know the appetite from uh, from uh, certain Eastern European countries to um, somehow chip in additional uh, additional money for uh, Ukraine is not is not is not very high. Um, so in general, there is this uh, feeling that the uh, that the final deal might. Uh, actually reduce the initial proposal of the Commission of about 25-25% with uh, somehow uh, very little new budget, new money, despite the extremely big needs. Uh, and if I can comment uh, maybe on, on the policy that will be, uh, is likely to be applied with a bit of sarcasm, uh, the the approach is more likely uh, the one of uh, scraping the barrel in the sense that uh, compared to the initial commission proposal we are going to have a much less new budget uh, new resources and instead we are going to find even more ways to already use the budget that uh, has been somehow committed The prevailing sentiment among European member states fueled by fiscal constraints and the German Constitutional Court ruling suggests reluctance to allocate additional funds to the EU budget. This discussion anticipates a potential reduction of around 25% from the Commission's initial proposal, highlighting challenges in securing substantial new resources despite pressing needs. One of the things that will be uh, certainly certainly done from my from my viewpoint uh, is uh, this ability to do to do more with less. So there will be again the focus on uh, not only the the new money, but they will try to focus the attention, particularly of the media, and they will focus the communication on the amount of money that can be leveraged by the by the European public intervention with a lot of uh, the money that will be spent on strategic technologies that is meant to you know leverage private fund private fund uh, private fund as well but in the end the creativity will not only be on the on the on the on the, on the spending or how to multiply the European budget will also be on where to find the resources so in this you know scraping the barrel approach they will certainly end up using uh, you know all the savings for um, uh, interest uh, repayments in the RRF unused loans from the RRF uh, you know, money from the cohesion funds and uh, quite certainly also frozen assets from the from Russian oligarchs uh, maybe even overestimating uh, the amounts that will be in the end uh, available the forthcoming strategy appears to prioritize achieving more with fewer resources emphasizing the leveraging of funds through strategic technologies and public intervention. But how can member countries come up with better planning, not only in spending, but also in sourcing funds? The situation is definitely not easy. And I think in this case, uh, um, there will be still a compromise for sure. But I don't see and I don't expect somehow the European Union and EUCO to backtrack uh, substantially from the promised uh, somehow spending on the Ukraine facility. I think that the connection will not, or not, will not be too much the tension between the, the step and the Ukraine facility, but it will be a little bit more between uh, the political agreement on the you know, accession path uh, of Ukraine and instead the, the money to Ukraine. Uh, 
And in this in this regard, I see, of course, the the Orban uh, somehow requests uh, more tougher on uh, the the path to accession, where I see other member states somehow conceding a little bit more in exchange for at least a quite sizable package for uh, for the Ukraine faci facility. So maybe lower than what the Commission uh, proposed or, or maybe the same amount but more loans than more loans than grants. Uh, but I see somehow the the support to Ukraine uh, some more uh, easy to be to, to be agreed on for the financial side than on the political accession. The coming year of 2024 is also the year of the European elections. In what ways can we expect the elections to influence the bloc's budget? It will definitely be impacted by the elections, by the campaign. In one way or another, this will be a, somehow a, a demarcation line between between political families. And I, I, I hope that, uh, in a sense, many families uh, that are uh, um, campaigning on uh, the Ukraine deal, the delivering on the digital or the green transition, um, being able to deliver on uh, expectation from the citizens in terms of security, then they will have to realize that in order to do these things, the European Union will need a budget, um, will need a proper, uh, proper budget. Also, in a context in which uh, China, the United States and other countries are not well, waiting Uh, and we definitely need uh, our industry to be at the level of securing, uh, you know, employment and prosperity for the for the for the entire continent. So it is uh, the budget is is really a priority because we need to secure we need to secure a strong uh, union. And uh, in this uh, context, one of the big things that will uh, somehow need to be expected is also a transformation of the governance, probably, of the budget, in which the lesson learns from the RRF, uh, you know, the milestones and, and targets, will need, in a way, to be included in, uh, more, more thoroughly into the, into the EU budget. This is... Uh, quite certainly one of the big political deals and transformation of the EU budget we'll need to see in 2020, in 2024, when the, when, the discussion, when the discussion on the new next EU budget will kick off. And there is a significant worry about European leaders abandoning the idea of responding to economic challenges similar to the US Inflation Reduction Act, which despite a small proposal by the Commission, it's facing further reduction. One important thing is the fact that European leaders have abandoned this idea of the sovereignty fund. So when the U.S. came up with the Inflation Reduction Act and, and there was this feeling that uh, Europe should respond with a similar, similar climate and fiscal stimulus. But in the end, you know, the entire project derailed. What we had is uh, little, this little step That the Commission proposed now in the in the next elco at the end of the year it, this will be further reduced and I think that in the in, in 2024 I hope that we are going to find one European leader in, uh, in, in Europe that will somehow table back this issue of industrial policy green industrial policy um, seriously because we, we we really we really have uh, problems in securing European capacity. Thank you very much. 
I am Evi Kiori, and this was Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit Euractiv to stay on top of the latest news, sign up to our podcast newsletter, and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time. As part of our commitment to accuracy, inclusion and transparency, Euractiv is part of the Trust Project.